Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't, the conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and joining me today, actually, you guys, I always say I help people turn their pain into their power, and joining me today is another woman who does just that, Melanie Brown. Melanie is the owner of Healing Hearts and Homes and Teens, Healing Hearts and Homes and Teens Alive, dedicated to teen suicide prevention. Everything she does is around the healing of family and relationships, including healing your relationship with yourself. Melanie's a licensed clinical social worker and has been working with teens, families, and marriages for the last 14 years with Healing Hearts and Homes. They love teens back to life. Melanie is very involved with teen suicide prevention in Utah. She's an active member of the Suicide Prevention Coalition and Zero Suicide Initiative in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Melanie recently launched an amazing, amazing program available online for parents with teens in crisis, providing tools to rebuild a loving relationship with your teenager. Thank you so much for being here and for everything that you do. I'm so glad that we've connected and um, thank you for being so open and being here. Thank you for having me. You're awesome. How, have you always worked with this population or did your own life shift that? I actually was an accountant in my previous existence. <laughs> I, I did not know that part. Yeah. That is a I, big shift. It is. But uh, what I realized in the process of shifting over, well, I went through a divorce. That was kind of the catalyst. Um, and my company that I had been managing the accounting for got bought out by a company in California. And I didn't want to move my family as a single mother to LA. I lived in LA for four or five years and I was like, oh no. (laughs) And so I ended up going back to school eventually after doing temp work for about four years. And as I was choosing what to do, I realized that what I loved about accounting was working with the people, the, the people that are my heart. And, and I, I had a marketing professor that was having us do our um, business plan and helping us with that. And I told him that I wanted to help families of moms that were going through divorce um, because by the time I found what I needed, I didn't need it anymore. You know, I just, it was frustrating to, to go through that. And he said, well, you need to get a master's in social work. And so I did and here I am. And I love it. I really, really do. It is, I've always worked with that population, not necessarily mothers with at-risk teens and their families. So I think of it as a population most don't want to work with because of the difficulties. I was always, I never had a hard time finding clients. They, they had a hard time finding people who specialized. Right. Um, so I, the reason that I, that my heart is really with the teenagers, first of all, I raised nine children. So nine teenagers survived me into adulthood. <laughs> um, and I survived them. But that's equally important. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is challenging. It is. Um, the job of teenagers is to become independent of us. And that's kind of hard for our ego sometimes, really. Um, but what kind of moved me into really wanting to make a difference in this area is that I lost a son, David, to complete suicide seven years ago. And one of the things that was really hard for me about that was not only was he my son and I was his mother, right? Because as mothers, we, we just think that we should be able to, um, we should be able to solve the problems. We should be able to take care of them and help them manage and keep them on this planet. And when we can't, we just take it on ourselves, right? Um, and at the time, I was also a therapist. And so I was like, I don't understand. How is it that I didn't know what to do and see all the signs? And at the time, I was as flustered about finding the help that he needed, even though I was a therapist, as any other mother would be. And that kind of, after after the loss was even more heavy on the heart that I didn't have all the answers. And then after a while of being deep in the grief and kind of getting my head above water, then I was like, oh, I've got to find answers. I just, I have to. Because teenagers are amazing and brilliant and incredible and we need them, we need them here because our world is struggling. We all know that. And there's a reason that they're here now and they have so much to gift the world. We just need them here um, to make a difference. So I started searching and I was really amazed in my search for answers how many professionals really have a hard time addressing suicidality. You know, even, even therapists and counselors often like didn't really ask questions about it to their clients because they weren't sure what to do if their client, if their patient said, yes, that's something I'm struggling with. They didn't know where to go from there, right? First and foremost, I'm deeply sorry for your loss. I know I always say there are just no words. Uh, I also, psychologist, when I am a psychologist, having experienced a loss, and it does put that, mine wasn't to suicide, but it does put that different perspective on and the, the, the also the pressures from the world. For me, it was the pressures from the world as a therapist to be able to just cope well because it's what, I, what I'm trained in. Um, so it takes certain people to do the work. And one of the hardest parts of my job is when a client and my clients that are listening will tell you, you know, there are times they hated me <laughs> because I had to do what was right whether that meant telling their parents or getting them hospitalized. Uh, and I, I'll take them being mad at me for a day or a week or a month and still being here oh, any day 
Um, I don't know if that's part of the work that you do. Right. I, it's one of the challenges I think for us as professionals is to help people understand that this is, I tell people it's kind of like suicide is at being in the emotional undertow. Have you ever been in the ocean and you, and you get caught in an undertow, you know, kind of what I mean. It, there's a certain way that keeps certain things that keep you safe and help you get out from underneath it, right? And other things that if you do them, keep you stuck there and it's life-threatening. And one of the things that all of us, I believe need to do that we have a hard time doing is saying the word, right? Just being willing to have the conversation. Just being willing to check in if to check in with people that you love and you care about and ask the hard questions. I love that you said that. That's part of my show description is that we need this show is about having the conversations that other people don't and that other people won't. There is there's stigma attached. It makes people uncomfortable. I don't really care what the reasons are. There's too much at risk not to talk about it. So do you, do you work with the teens? Do you work with them only the moms? In the work that I do, I have found, right, that the skills and the tools that teens need to help them get through what they're struggling with and, and put those in place so that they can get past being I guess past thinking that suicide and ending their life is the answer. Um, I have that parents really need to be part of the team. So I work with the family, preferably both parents, but at least with the mom, right? Um, the tools and the things that I teach are things that I find teens and children don't have because parents don't have a handle on it. And so what I love is to be able to provide a way for the whole family to learn skills and build their relationship to be the team. Because here's what happens in, in my experience over the last lots of years, but definitely the 14 as a therapist, right? Is, gosh, children and teenagers don't come with a user's manual <laughs> like, like your appliances your car you know if there's a problem you have something to like, search through and find the right page to solve the issue um, or you call a professional I'm the professional by the way um, and so we get especially when we get into teenage years if we haven't been through them with our own teenager before and they kind of have their crazy emotionality and their struggles, we just are like, you need to fix that. As parents, we do this so much. Oh my gosh. You need to do better in school. You need to bring your grades up. This is not okay. You're not going anywhere until you get your homework done. You, you fix this. If um, our teenagers are having problems with getting along with the family, then it's like, you need to fix your attitude. You need to straighten up. Do you hear the mom voice? Mm -hmm. I bet down, don't I? Um, 
if they're Believe not- me, And I've worked with the teenagers for my whole career. So I hear it in their tone. Like, you know, she says. <laughs> yeah. Right? But it's all this like, you need to fix this. You need to take care of that. You need to straighten up. You need to, right? And it all sits on the shoulders of our teenagers. And it also implies that their feelings are wrong. Like fix this when it's okay to feel. We need to learn how to deal with those feelings. So yes. So then I see what happens is if the teenager cannot sort out by themselves what to do to fix it, then they think the thing that's broken is them. Because mom and dad keep saying, you need to do this. You need to straighten up. You need to do better in school. You need to get along. You need to. And that underlying message, the unspoken message from that is you're wrong. You're messing up. You're not okay. And when enough of those things go wrong on a consistent basis and they can't figure out what to do about it and they think they're wrong, then that's when they're like, well, if I just take me out, it solves everything. It's really dangerous. I love that you mentioned involving the, the whole team because that's something I've always done. A lot of people have said I work differently and, and that whether that's involving a teacher or a counselor or an employer, anybody suffering is dealing with so much that anybody in their life that is a part of the team that is involved increases the chances of success. So siblings, Anybody that, that they interact with regularly that's willing, that's a wonderful thing to emphasize. And if somebody's listening and you're concerned about a friend, you can create a team and figure out what adult should we go to? Nobody should go through this process alone, whether you're the one having thoughts of hurting yourself or whether you're worried about someone else. That's another burden that people, they isolate and they don't tell anyone. And the secret is the, you know, the enemy. Silence is the enemy. So um, I like the team reference a lot. Because that way, to me, it's like, I'm on your team. You're, we're going to get your parents on your team. And we're going to solve the problem, right? The problem is the thing that we're looking at that's out there that we need to work on. You're not the problem. And your parents aren't even the problem. We're just going to find what the... So, so let's say specifically problems in school, right? Maybe they're not doing as well in school as you feel like they need to. You're worried about them graduating because they're, you know, needing to make up some whatever, right? So then the parents get really focused on like, you need to do better in school because you need to graduate. Well, first of all, I want parents to really know that keeping your teenager alive more than graduation. Sorry, but it's true. No, it sounds harsh, but it's very, it's completely true. And unfortunately in today's world, that has to be stated and emphasized. It, it's happening too much and numbers are rising. So, right. And, and really a teenager having a failure and working through it with the support and help of their parents is much easier than if you do three-fourths of the work for them somehow and push, push, push. And then they get into college and they fail a class and they're alone. 
mom, I love you, but I swear she wrote my brother's papers because he wouldn't right? The things we do, it, it, it failing isn't the issue. We need to be there to help them learn how to get back up because failing is a part of life. So right. sh- sheltering them from it doesn't help either. So I, I love all of this. It's, it's so and important. They're going to hit adulting. And I'm sorry. It's really funny to me that we think that children are adults at 18, just because. <laughs> I don't. I always have to apologize to the college students listening when I call them kids. But emotionally, you know. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I don't remember how old I was when I thought I'd finally grown up, but it wasn't 18. Right. <laughs> but they, still need, they still need support. And what if their problem in school is eyesight, hearing? What if it's like grief from the loss of someone that's passed away and they, and they don't know how to traverse it? What if it's bullying? What if it's abuse? What if it's health? A teaching style, they don't, yeah, absolutely. There are so many, what it could be, so many things. Um, and if we just put it on them and they're supposed to solve all of those problems and pinpoint what it is and they miss it, then they're just gonna keep like beating their head against the wall per se, trying to fix the problem. And they may very well have the same problem in college if they go to college or, or on a job, right? And it's going to affect their whole life if they don't find out what it is. And, and they can't always do that alone. And parents don't have the resources. I, often parents need the resources. I do a workshop closer to school starting just to make sure that parents know their rights we have, we, there is so much we can do to help you support your child, but it's not advertised on TV. And like you said, you started looking as a therapist and you couldn't find enough. So imagine what somebody without our resources, I felt the same way after I lost my husband and I was looking for grief support. I'm thinking if I can't find it, what do other people go through? So there's, there's just so much that schools can do and they might not advertise it. Right. Because you have to reach out for it. Because quite frankly, in a school situation, they've already got a lot on their plate. They're handling large, large groups of students. If you don't advocate for the needs of your child, they don't have the bandwidth, you know. And even if you do, they might shut you down or give you some standard, you know, they, and, and that doesn't mean it's completely true. I've had parents come to me and I'm appalled. And unfortunately, someone like you or me calling makes a difference. And having a degree behind our name, which shouldn't matter, but it does. But when your kids are at stake and their lives are at stake, add people to your team for them. Definitely, yeah. Um, Because really, when it comes to suicide, it's related to you know, coming back to the idea of the wave in the ocean, right? It's about overwhelming emotion that they're not managing. Everything begins to be heavy. And if they're having problems at school, they're having problems at home with their parents, if their girlfriend, boyfriend breaks up with them, if a frenemy in their group turns their group away from them for a while, then they just feel abandoned and alone and there's nowhere to turn. If there's no team for them to turn to when their whole life turns upside down, then the overwhelming emotion in a moment, right, takes them out. And if we can 
if we can give them the support they need to hold on and to learn the skills they need to manage those problems and be strong in themselves, then instead of spending years of their life trying to stay alive, they can spend years of their life living. And that's what I want. I want them living because I know there's a solution, right? And so I started searching. And the interesting thing is the way that I found the answers to suicidality and to help people stay alive were the things that I had learned over the years that kept me alive. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those. I'm one of those teenagers that I just didn't want to be here anymore. Thank because you for sharing that. Right. I mean, that that alone is going to help so many because it's also something not discussed and people need to hear these stories to know that they can get through it. Right. So so the interesting thing is I look back into my teenager years and my young adult years. And I grew up in a religious belief where suicide was like, it's not OK. Right. And so it didn't it wasn't really apparent to me that that was where I was at, because to me, it was like, I just don't want to be here. I want to go home. And going home to me was like being done with this life and going back to heaven. That was my perception as a teenager um, and into my 20s. And it was suicidality. It was like, get me out of here. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I just, I don't understand how to manage life. And I can remember distinctly this moment, I was a very young mother and my baby's in the car with me. And I have this strong memory of like looking over the edge of the, you know, mountainous road where I was driving and wondering if I turned the wheel fast enough, would that ravine be deep enough? And we know what that, that question was, right? It was like, Gosh, if I run into this wall hard enough, will, will it be enough to take me out? That's what I, and the only reason I didn't was there was a baby in the car. And that was, that was this moment where I realized that my son saved my life because I couldn't take him out, right? And, but I, I didn't want to be here. So the things that I've learned through my life since then to figure out how to manage life when it was hard are the things that I know that our teenagers and our preteens need. And, and I can't find anywhere that we really substantially teach these. We don't. We absolutely do not. Te we teach math and history and, and those skills. We do not teach how to cope with emotions, how to cope with relationships, how to cope with ups and downs, how to cope with loss. We don't. In fact, the world teaches the opposite about like bouncing back and fake it until you make it. And all of those things interfere with and prolong healing. You know, it, it's, it's, it's wrong. So it's necessary work. And it can start with things as basic. You were talking about all the problems that kids are dealing with. There's more that, that's acceptable to talk about. Even just a teenager talking about inability to sleep or a change in their sleep, that can be a sign and a symptom. And we talk about that openly and address that. And our emotions should be the same. We should have the same response. But we can, if we work on all of those things as a team, 
you don't have to deal with it alone. And that's hard enough for me as an adult. I don't want my nieces thinking they can't come to me. Yeah, yeah. And also as parents, we didn't get that. We didn't get that from our parents, from our schooling, from our culture, right? As parents, unfortunately, we've been raised in kind of a punitive way. And what I mean by that is our job as parents is to make our kids behave, right? So when they're misbehaving, we find a way to like control or manipulate or punish them into correct behavior. And that's, that's kind of what we've been taught is our job as parents to teach them how to behave. So where do we come in with, it's okay for you to be angry. One of the things that I find that is super important for teenagers and adults, right, is anger is not, I'm sorry, this is going to be against what everybody thinks. Anger <laughs> is not a negative emotion. Totally agree. When we believe that anger is a negative emotion, then we hide it. We stuff it. For people who are really tenderhearted, when we stuff anger, it turns into self-harm and suicide. Because we're going to take us out before we blow up all over the world. And that's really sad. Because we don't know how to deal with it when it's frustration and annoyance. We stuff it until it turns into rage. Because it's negative. It's bad. We're bad. We can't show anger. And we, we sit in this shame and we stuff it and we hide it instead of knowing how to express it in a healthy way. And what I learned after my divorce, when I couldn't get rid of anger, because I felt so betrayed, was that anger mattered. And this is why. The purpose of anger is to give us the energy to express what's not okay with us. I love that. Boundaries. And we need them. To have healthy relationships. To build because there are people who who never voice their anger and suffer, they, their needs could be met, right? It's not okay to punch you in the face, but it's okay to tell you I'm angry. It is, yeah. And so learning how to utilize that, this is part of, you know, this is part of the program. We, you know, this is what I teach teenagers. Emotional resilience. How to express your anger in a healthy way that builds relationships instead of tearing you down instead of exploding all over yourself or the people around you, right? Like how to have healthy emotions and how to express them and how to utilize them so you're building relationships, how to build healthy relationships, how to set boundaries, how to get rid of frenemies. <laughs> That's a whole other thing, right? Um, how to build yourself, how to have tools and skills that you utilize that build your sense of how incredible and amazing you are. So that when you address problems around you in the world that are yours to deal with, they are problems to solve. They are not the ways that you're broken. Absolutely. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I love the focus on you. Like I talk about grieving and healing your way. It's because we've developed these skills that you're teaching and we know how to use that voice. People don't know that, that, that 
You don't have to live life the way the world is telling us. Society has all of these expectations and teenagers more than any need to know that it's your life, it's your path and you don't have to sit in, in discomfort pleasing anyone else by keeping your anger in by whatever whatever it is. And so I love the emphasis on you and developing a strong sense of self. How do people connect with you? Well, first of all, I guess I wanna share. <laughs> so we have this 12 week program, Loving Teens Back to Life, but also um, doing retreats for moms who've lost a child, right? Um, this is my heart. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like as a mom. No matter if that's your only child or um, if you have 25 children, which no one does. But, um, there's a space in your heart that has their name on it, kind of, right? And nothing fills that place. No, nine. To some, nine is 25. <laughs> <laughs> is a handful but but we need to honor that grief and and quite frankly in this world we don't do grief very well no my audience knows my perspective <laughs> no so right like someone super close to you a, a parent a child uh, maybe um grandparent and uncle right maybe someone very very close to you passes away and you have the funeral on the weekend and on Monday, you're back to work. And everybody that jumps in to support you is also, you know, everybody does show up immediately and then they have to leave. And for me, that's an, another state, right? And then you're on your own. And we, because this is our cultural process around grief, we think we ought to get over it. And as moms, especially, right? as women, as givers, um, we get past that week or that month and then we just keep going. We take care of our home, we take care of our job, we take care of our families, we take care of our relationships and we don't sit in moments of allowing for our grief, in moments of healing for our grief. Um, I know that was my experience. I had so much to take care of. And, but then it floods up, right? Like an anniversary comes, you come across a paper that was theirs, you, you pick up a piece of clothing or you go in the space where they were, you, you do something that you used to do with them and then it all comes back and it floods and, and then we feel embarrassed. We feel like we're wrong and we close it all back down and we go on with life. And I really believe that grief needs to be honored. Um, I'm the founder of Grief Hab. I created that because I kept saying like, I need rehab for grief. There's rehab for everything else, but I need like a personal someone to help me, <laughs> right? Um, and I did not subscribe to being okay and getting through it. I was a mess and everybody knew I was a mess and it made people uncomfortable, but that's how I got through it. And, and I love that you talk about the waves. My picture for the group and for Grief Hab is somebody drowning, reaching up an arm and another arm reaching. And I talk all the time about the waves that you're going along and out of nowhere, 
the anniversaries and the holidays, people in the world at least understand or know that that's harder. But what about the stuff that just pops up on Thursday for no reason that people don't understand? We still have those waves all the time. And not just, I mean, yeah, people understand holidays. So it's a little bit easier to express grief on the holidays. But like February, like the whole month of February is hard for me. It was my son's birth month and his death month. You know? So do I carry a sign around that says, give me February? Like I have a friend who lost her husband six months ago and she says, I have grief attacks. I'll be in the grocery store. I would never buy and eat, but it's something love. And in the grocery store, I'm bawling, you know, and it's, it, we, we aren't really comfortable with holding space for grief. So I've, I've started doing these, these retreats for mothers who've lost their child because it's a specific kind of grief for women that if you haven't had it, you don't really comprehend. No, you absolutely, I, I love that. I, I do small groups, but I haven't been doing retreats, but I do separate them by loss of a spouse, loss of a child. You absolutely need people who have been on that same path. You need the people who get it without words. Uh, and there's magic in those relationships that, that you might not be ready to hear about or talk about right now, but getting having somebody who was further along in the journey telling me that I would get there and that I wasn't crazy. <laughs> you know, those things really, my parents love me, but they couldn't give me that. That's so true. I remember sitting at the dinner table after dinner with my mom and my dad and talking to them about the grief of the loss of my son and both of them just sitting there speechless. They had no clue how to hold that space for me. And it's wonderful to sit in circles of women who they have the same space in their heart that nothing can fill. Yes. Nothing can take that away. And I don't believe that time heals wounds. I don't, I'm with you. It is not time. It is, it is the process of grieving and holding space for that. So we're doing a retreat in July. 14th to 17th in Moab, Utah. Oh, be oh my God. People listening, <laughs> go just for that. Okay. It's one of yeah. mine and Jim, Jim's, one of our favorite destinations uh, for hiking. There's so much to do, uh, but we will include, please share the links. We'll include those in the show notes. And you can also find information about my youth program and about the retreat um, at my website. It's healingheartsandhomes.com healingheartsandhomes.com or you could text me i'm really open 801-548-3017 if you are open to and ready to sit in the circle of women at a retreat for moms who've lost a child we'll be holding those regularly if you can't make july reach out to me we will get you in the next one it's just miraculous to me because when you hold a retreat, it's the right group of women that come together for each other. Every time. Very intimate. There's only going to be 12 women. So it isn't going to be a, it's going to be a very intimate circle of women sitting together, holding space for each other's heart. And we would love to have you there. And if you have any questions, 
you know, about the youth program where we love teens back to life or the retreat, please reach out. Again, it's Melanie Brown, 801-548-3017 and healingheartsandhomes.com. You can find more information and um, we would just love to wrap our arms around you and yours and help you through your grief for you and your family and your teenager. They're amazing. I love them. We will put the number and the links in the show notes. If you're driving, you don't have to pull over. Don't crash. You don't have to rewind. If you're listening, (laughs) it will be there. I love the universe connected us for a reason. I am very specific about people I actually refer to, but the, I mean, you just gave out your cell phone number because like me, I think you are the type that knows that people's problems and stressors don't happen nine to five and you're accessible and you want people to connect with you. So even if you're not ready to think about a a retreat, but you're connecting with Melanie, reach out. I can tell right, right just from this conversation that she's like me and is there just for the conversation. So don't, don't hold back if you're not ready for something bigger. Yeah, we'll figure out where you're at and, and um, just text me. I'm happy to spend time. I just, oh my goodness, I'm just, my heart, you know, wraps around moms and families and teenagers. I just love, love, love what I do. And I know for me, getting to the point where I would reach out to somebody was tough and I don't want to miss when you're in that place where you're ready to have somebody help you figure out what the next step is. Right. Just say, you can say, I heard you on a podcast. (laughs) That's it. You don't have to do more for anyone struggling. And if you don't have access to the show notes, reach out to me and I will give you Melanie's information. This, I just love everything you stand for. And I, I think like me, I always say, welcome to the club. We never ask to join to women who have lost their spouses. I think that's that's kind of what you're saying about moms who have lost children. It's that it's an intimate group that didn't want to be there. Yeah, it's not a group that anyone subscribes to, but once you're in it, you know, you really, like I said, you really need women whose hearts understand you to sit in circles and allow yourself to be held really thank you so much any final thoughts for last words for everyone listening i just love what you do too you know feeling is i after the loss of my son i think that i searched out and went to i don't know several therapists that said that they worked with grief and found that that's something that you shouldn't say if you don't know how to do it so anybody who makes that their focus you know um, has really looked into it and wants to make a difference just saying that you know how to work with grief doesn't mean you do so bless your heart also for the good work that you're doing in the world we we really need to learn to understand how to work with these things right I guess my final thought, just really quick, um, and, and people kind of don't always know how to take this, but I think it's important. Um, I tell parents, sex is like suicide. We think if we don't talk about it, they won't do it, and we're not. 
I will quote you every time I use that line, but I'm definitely, definitely using it. You're so right. Thank you so, so much for your time, for your openness, uh, for sharing your story. Everyone, if you want to connect with Melanie, I don't remember her number, but it's healingheartsandhomes.com, correct? Yeah. And until next time, always be ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the Ruthless Movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week. Thank you.